Big Chapel family, how's everybody doing this morning? That sounds good, I like that. A lot of good stuff going on this past week. Uh, Toy and I got to go to North Carolina. Uh, many of y'all don't know, some of y'all do. We have a spiritual son, Harley Duncan, who uh, came into our ministry in Nashville, Tennessee. His mom died when he was a high schooler, kind of floated around. He moved to Florence with us um, and went to UNA, graduated from UNA. They moved to Raleigh, North Carolina after got married to Monica, uh, who we just dearly loved. They had their first baby last week. So we got to go and hold a baby for four days straight. So Toya is the happiest person on earth for now. So until she goes down, I have to get another baby somehow in her hands at some point. But it was a good week. A lot of good stuff going on around here. Last Sunday, we had our Voices Sunday and I was just blown away by some of the gifts and some of the abilities in this house uh, that just shared the word of God, preached the word of God, imparted truth into our church. So would you give them one more round of applause real quick, uh, stepping out of their comfort zone and, and stepping into their gifting and calling. Uh, obviously, our church has three kind of pillars to our mission statement. One is honor God, that we want to be a church that honors God first and foremost. We believe that is the church's purpose. The second part is make disciples, and the third part is to make an impact. And so we want to make an impact uh, locally and globally. Our main way of doing that locally is through the Shoals Dream Center, which you'll see across the street. It does an incredible job of feeding those who are hungry in our community by providing groceries for them, but also uh, Dream Center Academy, which mentors fifth and sixth graders who are at risk. It mentors them educationally in social-emotional learning, but also just building a hope-filled atmosphere for them, but also through Adopt-A-Block. And we have a great opportunity, TNT, Fireworks, which is a local organization and corporation, has given us the opportunity to host and sponsor a fireworks stand to raise money for the Shoals Dream Center. And so it's going to be all the proceeds will go directly into the Dream Center, but we need many, many, many volunteers' help. So this is the easy way to get involved at the Shoals Dream Center to help make an impact in our community. And so out in the lobby, you'll see a booth, a big Dream Center banner. You'll see Melody and Megan and some of the ladies out front. We need you to sign up if you have the availability to serve a couple of hours between now and the 4th of July. We need tons of people, so please stop by there and volunteer to make an impact in our community through the Shoals Dream Center. Secondly, we make an impact globally. We're part of the Radiant Network. Uh, we plant churches through the Radiant Network all over America. And Pastor Lee sent out a message to all the Radiant pastors this week, which he's never done in the three years that I've known Pastor Lee. And he said, Brother Abraham, which is a, a minister in India that oversees 4,000 churches in 22 states in India, orphanages, churches, ministries, outreach, he supports that ministry usually by itinerating to the states to raise money for their orphanage and their churches. And in the past two years, he has not been able to due to COVID. And he said they're at a point now where their pastors are not eating, they cannot feed their families, and they don't have enough money to bury the dead that are dying of COVID in their churches. So if you've seen anything in India, COVID is, is spreading ridiculously fast and, and just taking out tons of people. And so they're in the help for money. And so he's trying to raise $150,000 between now and Father's Day to send over there to help them feed their orphans, take care of their orphans, and feed their pastors. And so we've already sent a, we're going to send a check of $5,000. We want to give you the opportunity to make an offering towards that today. And so Pastor Marissa will explain how you can do that uh, at the end of service. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, and we're going to be in verses, uh, starting in verse 18 through 27. And so this year has been kind of a year of, of change in our family. Uh, Alicia just graduated last week. She's been on senior trip with her best friend, Allie Garrett, this week. So she has not called us one time because now she's grown. So we've been through the ups and downs of emotions for graduating. The twins turned 16 this year. And so we had to go through the whole process of 
of learning to teach them how to drive. And, and so some learn faster than others. So one of our twins, which shall remain nameless, wasn't really that good of a driver. And so we tried to teach her. She was nervous. Like she, she was going like five miles an hour and said she's going too fast. And I'm like, well, that's a good thing, but a bad thing at the same time. And so Toya was driving with her through our neighborhood in a safe area. And Toya was looking at a, a new house that's being built. And so Toya's looking at the house. She's describing the house. Well, Araya starts looking at the house. That's not her name. The child that shall remain nameless. She begins looking at the, the house. And so as she's looking at the house, whenever you start looking a certain direction, usually your hands start following that direction. And so next thing she knows, she runs over the neighbor's mailbox. Well, of course, as any 15-year-old would do, it's not her fault, it's Toya's fault for pointing out the brand new house. And so they begin to argue. We make her pay for the, the, the mailbox to get put up. She's like, that's just ridiculous. I have to pay for it. I said, you have to be responsible. So we go through this whole thing. She's arguing. Uh, next week, I'm driving in Huntsville, and I see a mailbox that's been torn down or broken down on the side of the road. So I, I call her immediately. I said, have you been in Huntsville lately? <laughs> and then recently, there was a mailbox down two houses up from us, and I had to interrogate her to make sure it was not her. So I think we have a serial mailbox killer on our hands. <laughs> and so what happens is anytime you get your eyes off of the focus, and you get your eyes off of where you're supposed to be looking, you start looking left or right, and you don't hold on to that steering wheel, you end up in one ditch or the other. And so many times in church world, churches, we choose to look one way or the other instead of looking to Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith. We look at traditions, we look at trends, we look at all these things, and we, and we keep turning left and right, and we go from one ditch to the other and back and forth, and it's because we feel like we have to choose one way or the other. And there's a polarization that's been part of the church, but now it's part of America as a whole, where there is no both and, it's either I, either or or. You're either Republican or Democrat. It's not values-based, it's party, but it's either this way or that way. We can get theological and it's either God is sovereign or humans have responsibility. It's either prayer or it's works. We're either saved by grace and faith or, 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 or we're dead works without faith. Faith without works is dead. And there's all these back and forth, and we keep looking back and forth at all these things instead of just looking to Jesus. We get polarized and start choosing one side or the other when Jesus many times says both. There's a term called cognitive pluralism, meaning that some things can have multiple meanings. There's some thoughts that have multiple thoughts, like God can be both sovereign and we can have free will. That you can walk and be saved by faith but also produce works. There's prayer and then there's also effort. There's all these things that it's not either or, it's both and. And one of my favorite stories of, of just rabbi tradition in the Bible is a, is a term that they would use, I'm not going to give you the Hebrew, but it's a term they called that every scripture has 70 faces. They call it the 70 faces of Torah. Meaning when you read a scripture, that scripture has 70 different faces and meanings. And the job of the believer or the student of the Torah, the student of the Bible's job is to turn it over and over again to get all 70 meanings. 
But we become so lazy as people, we find one meaning and we build an entire denomination, an entire church, an entire lifestyle off that one meaning. Instead of flipping it over and over and over again to get all the beauty of God's word so we can be who God has called us to be. Stay straight along the path so we can be the church God has called us to be. If you would stand to your feet as we remark chapter 12 together. The scripture sits in, in a couple different conversations with Jesus having with the Pharisees and Sadducees where they're trying to corner him and he's arguing or debating some of their theology or doctrine or lifestyle with them. And they're trying to set him up. It says this in verse 18. And the Sadducees came to him. And you know the Sadducees, the Sadducees and Pharisees, Sadducees do not believe in any spiritual realm at all. They don't believe in any spirituality, no angels, no demons, no afterlife. And since they don't believe in heaven, that's why they're sad, you see. Good church humor. And the Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up an offering or offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers that first took a wife, and when he died, he left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died in the resurrection when they rise. Again, whose wife will she be? For they had seven, for the seven had her as a wife. So one, they don't believe in a resurrection, but they're trying to corner Jesus about a resurrection. And two, you better be very careful on helping your siblings pick out who they marry because you may have to marry them after they die. So Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? Or the King James says, is this not the reason you're in error? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Of God, For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as far and as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And you are quite wrong. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you are not the God of the dead. You are the God of the living. And Father, we are alive in you. And I pray in these next few moments, you help us realign our lives, our minds, our hearts, our spirits, our discipleship and our church back around the truth of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, I just pray that you help us keep our eyes focused down the road, following after Jesus, chasing after your Holy Spirit and staying out of the ditches of life that grab our attention. And so we pray for a blessing upon your word, an anointing upon your message, an anointing upon your hearers. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may be Seated. It's, it's interesting that the conversation was about marrying somebody in the afterlife, but Jesus doesn't deal with that question. He deals with the error or the problem they had with their theology. And he says the problem you have or the error or the, the situation you find yourself in is that you are missing the scriptures and the power or the spirit of God. And so the Pharisees and Sadducees, to, to understand that, the Pharisees were the, the ultra conservatives. Now they believed in the afterlife, they believed in spirituality, they believed in the, the message of the rabbis and the teachings of other people, oral traditions, but they were, they were hardcore conservatives. They would be like the fundamental Baptist of today, King James only type people. 
And they were very proud of knowing the scriptures. They were very proud of, of knowing who they were and maintaining the law. The Sadducees were super connected to the elite powers of the day in Jerusalem. They were connected with the political movement and the educational movements. They didn't believe in an afterlife. They believed that the Torah or the, the Bible was the only thing that mattered. And it was more for, for um, not living, but more for tradition-based or good morals to base your life off of. So they'd be the far left liberals or progressive of our day that are living in a, in a college campus somewhere, indoctrinating young people, telling them that the Bible is a bunch of good stories, but it's not necessarily true. That's the Sadducees. And so Jesus says you're wrong because you err about the word of God, the scriptures, and the power of the spirit. And what he was doing was he was attacking them, not in their weakness, but when they thought was their strength. They thought they knew the scriptures better than anybody else. They thought they knew the power of God because they were connected to the political movement or culture of the day. They thought they had the word and the spirit because they were walking in it in a cultural relevance, not necessarily what Jesus had to say. And it's interesting, he uses the word error in this scripture. The word error means to, to wander astray or to be led astray. It means like if you're driving down the road and you're trying to learn how to drive and you look to the right to the new house, you wander off track or you err off to the side. And I think what Jesus is trying to say is, is that if we're going to err, we're going to err by losing sight of the authority and power of God's word, or we're going to err or get off track by losing sight of the power of God's spirit. Those are the two things he said. Don't be led astray by getting an error or losing sight of those two things. Because two things I think is important is not knowing the scriptures is very detrimental. Not knowing the scriptures, not knowing the Bible is very detrimental. And we see this happening in our young people, in our churches, that there's so many people, they believe the Bible, they want to use the Bible for debate or theology, but they've never read the Bible. And so when you don't, know the scriptures, you're ignorant of the scriptures, your faith is weak and limited. I mean, you don't have enough faith to maintain your walk with Jesus. You don't have enough faith to hold on to the promises of God. Why? Because faith comes by hearing, and by hearing what? The word of God. So if I'm ignorant of the scriptures, I don't have anything to fuel my faith. If I'm ignorant of the promises of God, I have nothing to hold on to in those moments where I need more faith to maintain my walk with Jesus. If you're ignorant of scriptures, you cannot walk in true freedom. In John 8, Jesus said this way. He said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word and you are truly my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you Free, So my freedom is contingent upon knowing the truth of God's word. So when I'm ignorant of the scriptures, I'm walking in bondage and not freedom. When you're ignorant of the scriptures, we have no boundaries to live life according to the ways God has called us to live. Many of there's right way to live. We call it righteousness and a wrong way to live. And when I don't know his word, I don't walk in righteousness. I walk in the wrong way of living, which leads to destruction and sorrow and consequences and grief. And so it's vitally important to know the scriptures. But it's also vitally important to know the power of God. Because if you don't know the power of God, if you're ignorant of the power of God, which in this scripture is the word dunamis, which is the same word used on the day of Pentecost, 
the dunamis of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God. When you're ignorant of the power of the Holy Spirit, you have no power to live the life God has called you to live. You cannot live the life God has called you to live out of your own flesh. You can only live by the power of the Holy Spirit. When you're ignorant of the Holy Spirit, you have no real victory over sin. You go from cycle to cycle. You go from repentance back in to repentance to back in. But the Holy Spirit gives you the power to have victory over sin. When you're ignorant of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, you only experience a limited and circumstantial amount of peace. Because the Holy Spirit gives you a peace that surpasses understanding. And when you're ignorant of his power, your peace is contingent upon what you're actually Walking through. When you're ignorant of the power of the Holy Spirit, you experience no lasting joy. When you're ignorant of the Holy Spirit, there are no spiritual gifts to edify and build you back up when you need to be built up. When you're ignorant of the Holy Spirit, our prayer lives are weak and powerless. And when we're ignorant of the Holy Spirit, we experience no true spiritual growth or progress in sanctification. And when we're ignorant of the Holy Spirit, there's really no assurance of salvation. Because the Holy Spirit's greatest gift is to assure you that you're a child of God and to seal you with his blessed gift of his Holy Spirit. And so Jesus says, when you're ignorant of these two things, you'll err and you'll get astray. So the sobering question will be this. How well do I know the scriptures of God? How well do I understand the word of God? And how ignorant am I? Or how well do I know about the power of God? Those two things should be our motivators to go down the road as a church and as a people to know the scriptures more deeply and to know the power of God more intimately. Those two things, Jesus said, if we're going to err, we're going to err on being ignorant of one or the other or both. That is why we are a word and spirit church. Everybody say word and spirit. We're not a word church and we're not a spirit church. We are a word and spirit church church. And that means this, we are rooted in the unchanging truth and gospel of Jesus Christ, committed to deep gospel-centered theological discipleship, but also a hunger for the infilling presence and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Meaning we believe in the deep theology of the word. We believe the word is the authority. We believe the word is God's word here on earth. But we also believe in the present ministry of his spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit is God and he's present with us. And it is vitally important that we remember that we are a word and spirit church. Vitally important that we remind ourselves that we are word and spirit people. Because if we don't remind ourselves that we are word and spirit people, we end up being a Sadducee or a Pharisee. But if we keep the word and spirit as our focus and our highlight, we become Jesus followers who live and love like Jesus. And that is our So John Wimber said it this way, all word and no spirit, we dry up. All spirit and no word, we blow up. Both word and spirit, we grow up and we fire up. All word, no spirit, we dry up. I mean, there's no refreshing moments in the presence of the Lord. All spirit, no word means we blow up. We're emotional basket cases, seeking experience after experience, encounter after encounter. But when you have both, you have the word and the spirit. You grow up into who God wants you to be. And what's important is, you know, I I fly quite a bit, and I've never asked the pilot, you know, which wing of the airplane is the most important? Is it the right wing or the left wing? When it comes to the things of the Holy Spirit, again, we think, okay, the word is more important than the spirit, and the spirit is more important than the word. Both are important wings 
in order for the church to fly and flourish into the places God has called us to be. Both are needed, both are vital, both are important, because this is kind of the way I look at it is, the word minus the spirit equals legalism. The word minus the spirit. So if you have the word wing, but you take off the spirit wing, the plane of the church begins to circle around legalism. And it circles and circles and circles and circles. And you start coming up with more ways to be legalistic, more ways to hold people in bondage, more ways to hold people accountable without freedom, more ways. And it just circles and circles and circles. But the other wing, if you have the spirit wing and not the word wing, you begin to circle around legalism or liberalism. So if you have the spirit wing but not the word wing, you just circle around liberalism, meaning what I feel like is important, what my experience is is important, and you start getting more liberal and liberal and liberal, but no spirit and no word, no wings at all, you crash into carnal cultural Christianity where there is no freedom, there is no Christ. It's all about you. It's called humanism where it's all about you and what you desire and what you want. But when you have both wings... You have the word and the spirit. You as a believer and the church as a whole can fly into your God-given destiny to be spirit-filled disciples of Jesus Christ. And as a church, that is our goal, is to have both wings attached to this church so we can fly wherever God calls us to fly and be who God has called us to be. One author said this in the quest for the radical middle. He said, Jesus modeled for humanity, that the word and spirit are in proper relationship to one another. The word submits to the voice of the spirit, and the spirit blows in accordance with the parameters of the word. Word and spirit are in dynamic tension, but Satan's strategy is to pull a person, a church, or a movement away from the radical middle toward one pole or the other. Like that is God's strategy, or the enemy's strategy. God knows that if you hold on to the word and spirit, you will be and do everything God has called you to be and do. But the enemy knows if he can get you just to go one way or the other, because it's not a bad thing just to be a word person. It's not a bad thing just to be a word church. But if he can get you just to go that way, you lose the power that Jesus died for you to have. But on the other side, if an enemy can get you away from the word and just focus on the spirit thing, focus on Pentecost and the gifts of the spirit and the power of the spirit and the encounters with the spirit, if he can get you to focus just on that, you lose the faith you need that's only fueled by the word of God. And so our desperate desire here is to be a word and spirit church. And so developing a word and spirit culture, i got four quick points for you today. Number one is this. If we're going to be a word and spirit church, we have to seek to honor and respect both the word and the spirit. We have to seek to honor and respect both the word and the spirit. We can't pick one over the other. First Thessalonians 1, 4 and 5 says this, for we know brothers, loved by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power. So the New Testament church was a church of the word and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have to learn to respect both sides. You and I in our church, we both need the word and the power. In order to have that, we have to learn to respect both sides of that equation or both wings. And what is, what is difficult in church world is we're so quick to pick camps. And once we pick a camp, all the other camps are wrong. So if, if we're going to be a word church, and a word church means that, that you lean towards educational style, church services, 
you lean towards deep theology, you lean towards scripture memorization, you lean towards uh, praise and worship that's just trying to reteach you the scriptures. You start leaning that way, you start thinking all churches that are spirit churches are wrong. In the same way, if you're spirit-filled, we just call them full gospel churches, meaning we're full gospel, you're half gospel. And we build entire, and so then you have these battles going back and forth between, well, we're word, that's really, you're not even real church, we're spirit churches, you're not even spirit-filled. And you start going back and forth, you start building these camps, which then causes division rather than unity. And so I made a decision, there's a scripture in Luke where Jesus is with his disciples, the disciples come to him, they said, Jesus, these other people are baptizing people in your name. And the disciples you know, they're, they're riding with Jesus. They just gave up everything to follow Jesus. And they're mad because they're living with Jesus, walking with Jesus, sacrificing for Jesus. But these other people are literally doing the same thing without Jesus. And Jesus said, cool. No, Jesus, you don't understand. Like, they're baptizing people in your name. He says, listen, if they're not against me, they're for me. And I circle that in my Bible every time I read it. And I put, God is not constrained to your camp nor your theology. And so I've had to learn to respect people that don't necessarily agree with me or I necessarily agree with. So I purposely build relationships with people who are word churches. And so there's a local church in town that is a word church. Five years ago, I scheduled a lunch with him. And he's pretty hardcore against the things of the spirit, like hardcore preaches against them. And I scheduled a lunch with him. We sit down. He said, what do you want? He said, charismatics don't don't talk to me. They don't build relationships. What do you want? I said, man, I just want to tell you thank you for keeping the word as a foundation of the church. I want, I want to tell you thank you for just building a, a word church in the shoals. It's needed. There's a lot of churches that, that float between different things. But you're a word I just want to say thank you. He's like, what? He's like, Chris Maddox, don't do it. I said, dude, I'm telling you, thank you. And then we started having this whole conversation about the gifts. So me honoring and respecting the word side, we had a whole conversation about the things of the spirit. And we'd ask questions. he'd ask questions about tongues and prophecy and this. He said, well, I believe that, and I believe that. I said, you're going to be spirit-filled. He said, don't you ever say that again. <laughs> but I, I built a relationship. Why? Because I want to respect and honor Word people and spirit people. There's some people that are so far out there in, in Pentecost and charismatic world that I'm uncomfortable with it, but I still respect and honor them for at least pursuing the things of the spirit. And so if you want to see that in scripture, Paul is the guy. When you read the book of Acts, Paul is the word and spirit guy. He literally gives us the theology of Romans, the deep theology of Romans, but at the same time, he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit in the book of Corinthians. Like, he didn't pick one or the other. He said both are important to God and both are needed for the church to be who the church is supposed to be. And so we had prophetic presbytery two weeks ago. And some people, you know, it was a stretching moment for you. Or some people are asking, well, what is this and, and why are we doing this? I'll tell you, we're not a prophetic church. I told the staff, we're not a prophetic church. There's some churches that are prophetic churches. Everything's built on the prophetic. Everything's built on a word from God or, you know, thus saith the Lord. We're not that church. We are a word and spirit church. Wherever the spirit is moving in that moment and season is where we're going to be. As long as within the confines of God's word. We're not a traditional church. We're not a denominational church. Why? We're a word and spirit church. We go where the word says to go and where the Holy Spirit tells us and leads us. That is who we're going to be. And Pastor Rusty, we talked about this six, seven months ago. He said way back when he was... I was at the carpenter's home in, in Florida. He said, uh, his pastor called it the pendulum of the word and spirit. 
He said in the eternal timeline of God, there's this pendulum that swings back and forth between deep moments in scripture and deep moments of theology, but also these amazing encounters with the spirit of God. He said this pendulum just swings back and forth, back and forth. He said when God sometimes will move you from these deep moments of theological depth and roots in the scriptures, when he'll swing you over in some of the things of the spirit to remind you of what you were missing out in the season before. He'll swing you over to moments of the prophetic so you can see and be reminded that God hears your prayers. God knows the details about your life. And God is ever-present and ever-loving. And then sometimes he'll swing you back to the word to remind you that the word is the authority. The word fuels your faith. And he swings you back and forth. And so for us as a people, we need to be comfortable with swinging back and forth as the spirit blows. When he moves us to the word two or three years ago, I preached through Philippians 1 for the entire year. Just the first chapter, 52 Sundays in one chapter of the Bible. That was a word season. And then coming out of the pandemic, the Holy Spirit has moved us into a prophetic season for this past few moments. And I believe God's going to keep moving us and moving us back and forth until God is pleased with who we're becoming. We have to seek to honor and respect both the word and the spirit. But number two, we have to seek to relinquish spiritual pride and man-made traditions and an unteachable spirit. What happens when the word and spirit, many times we have man-made traditions, we have spiritual pride, you know, this is how I brought up, I've always been a Baptist, I'm never going to do anything that's not Baptist, that's spiritual pride. Or I'm spirit-filled, I don't know, this doesn't feel very Pentecostal to me, why? Because reading the Bible, there's nothing more spiritual than reading the Bible. You have to get rid of spiritual pride and realize that God is always doing a new thing in you. And pride prevents God from doing a new thing because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Jesus explained it this way in Matthew 9. The disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skin burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. Meaning traditions many times that are man-made, not scriptural Many, many times uh, a denominational background that confines your, your capacities becomes an old wineskin. And when God is trying to do something new in you or in a church, he can't do it because you're suppressing him by being inflexible and not being moldable to what the Holy Spirit is doing. If you want God to do something in you, you've got to make sure that your spirit and your mind and your life is moldable and flexible so God can do something new in you. And the easiest way to prevent God from doing something in you is to live your life as an old wineskin. To live your life expecting God to do exactly what he did 200 years ago, 50 years ago, and not embracing what he's doing right now. My pastor said this to me one time. He said, it's not about what God said. It's about what God is saying. He said, if if Abraham would have listened to what God said, he would have sacrificed Isaac. But he didn't do what God said, he did what God was saying. So he didn't limit God to an old wineskin or an old mentality or an old thing. He was in the moment with the Spirit of God. Instead of killing Isaac, God said, do not place the hand on that boy. And that is the difference between an old wineskin and a new wineskin. Number three, though, is seek to go deeper into the truth of the Scriptures and the presence and power of the Holy 
spirit. Here, let's see if we go deeper in both of them. Not one, not the other, but in both of them. Because the deeper we go in the truth of God's word, the deeper you'll go in the Holy Spirit. So the deeper I go in God's word, the deeper I'll go in the things of the Holy Spirit. Many people, even biblical writers, will use the word chewing the cud. Look at your neighbor and say cud. You just cussed in church. Chewing the cud as a, as a way of understanding how we digest God's word. So chewing the cud refers to a cow. A cow has four stomachs. So when a cow first starts eating, eating coarse grass and hay and things like that, they'll, they'll start chewing, but they don't completely chew up the food. They chew it up, and then it goes into the first or second stomach, right? So it goes in that first or second stomach. And I remember uh, I was probably 12 or 13. I was at my grandparents' house who lived in the country. Their neighbor had a, a cow pasture next to their driveway. And so we got done playing basketball. It was me, me and my brother and one of my friends. And so we started playing a game of throwing pieces of gravel at these cows. Probably not the smartest thing in the world, but they're far off. We're just trying to, you know, hit the cow. They're cows. It's not going to hurt them. So next thing I know, the farmer comes out of the barn, and he is not happy. He is cussing us one side and down the other. And he says, y'all stand right there. I'm going to throw rocks at you and see how you like that. Well, I'm dumb, but I'm smart enough to know I ain't letting that dude do that. So I start walking off. I look back. My brother and my friend are standing still, letting him throw rocks at them. I said, what are you doing? Come on. He said, he told us not to move. I said, you better move. And so we're throwing it while these cows are eating the grass, chewing the cud. So it goes down into the first stomach or the second stomach. And then later on, it, it kind of regurgitates or coughs up that cud, chews it again, and then it passes from the first and second stomach to the third and fourth stomach, where it begins to be digested. Some of what's in the third and fourth stomach gets in the bloodstream, where then it goes out into milk for other cows to get nourishment from, while the rest is processed by that cow for nourishment of its body. In the same way, many times we come to church on Sunday, we chew the cud, but we never regurgitate it and bring it back down. We just get surface level. When we're supposed to chew it, regurgitate it, bring it back down, and then start letting it nourish our own bodies, but then give it out to nourish other people's bodies. See, the spiritual component of the Word of God is not just to hear, it's to hear, to move it to my spirit, to move it to my heart, and to release it to other people. See, it's not really Bible study until it's in your heart and it's into other people. If it's just in you, that's not Bible study, that's education. The Jews had another way of saying this exact same thing. And it was this concept uh, of exploring the word of God, which they called pardes. Pardes is this four-step process of reading the Torah, reading God's word. Level one is the peshat. Everybody say peshat. So you cussed again. Y'all, this is not going well. Peshat is the plain reading of scripture. It's simply reading the Bible, just reading the pages and turning the pages. And that's a great place to start. That's a great reason to have a Bible reading plan, to just start reading the Bible. That's level one, Peshat. Level two is remez, which literally means hint. It means as you read it, you're looking for the hints that God is giving you in scripture. It's also the place where you get the 70 faces of the Torah, where you start turning God's word every which way. One person said it's like a kaleidoscope, that every time you read over it and you meditate over it and you turn it, you see another facet of who God is. Every time you turn over scripture, many of you have seen this, the more you read the Bible, the more you get out of it. 
There's sometimes I'll read a scripture I've read a thousand times and something new pops out. It's because I turn the kaleidoscope just a little bit and there's a new hint that God gives me about who he is and what his will is. But level three is the Durash. This is the systematic approach to studying the Bible. This is your theology. This is when you start connecting the dots between the book of Daniel and, and the book of Second Thess- uh, Thessalonians and Revelations about the end times. This is when you start connecting the book of Leviticus with the things that Jesus accomplished here on earth. This is when you start connecting the book of Psalms with Jesus' time on the cross. It's when you start connecting all the dots and systematically study God's word. But level four is the suit. And you can't skip one, two, and three to get step four. So step one is just a simple reading. Step two is you start letting it play with your mind and discovering things in your mind. Level three is we start systematically develop. But step four, level four, is you begin to meditate on God's word. And as David said, you start to hide God's word in your heart. It's where you move the word of God from here to here. And there's a long distance from here to here. For some, the distance is years and years and years. And for some, they never make the journey. And it's not enough to have the word of God in your mind. You need it in your heart. For when I hide your heart within me, I will not sin against you, my God. See, when I hide the word of God in my heart, it's always there. It's a jewel always to be discovered. When I hide the word of God in my heart, it begins to change me. So it's different than reading the word. The word begins to read you. Instead of you having convictions and beliefs and you go to read the word, now the word of God starts creating convictions inside of your heart. See, the difference is one is you reading the word. The other is the word reading you. One is you getting into the word of God. The other is the word of God getting into you. And if we're going to be word and spirit people, we can't be education type people. We have to be hiding in my heart type people. In the coming days of persecution against the church, education will fail. It doesn't matter how much theology you have. It doesn't matter how much John Calvin, how many John Calvin quotes you have or John Wesley quotes you have. I don't care what John Calvin said about the Bible. I care about what's hidden in your heart and what's hidden in my heart. And we've educated ourselves right out of obeying what God says. But to be word and spirit people, we've got to be in chewing the cud. I chew what I hear on Sunday morning. I regurgitate it. I begin to let it sink down in my heart throughout the week as I pray and meditate on God's word. But we can't just be people who seek to discover deeper truths of God's word. Because the deeper we go in God's word, the deeper the Holy Spirit will take us. We have to be people that seek to go deeper in the things of the spirit. Like we have, to, we have to be people that seek to go deeper into the presence and power of God. We do expository preaching on Sunday mornings, but the presence of God, our worship should be worship of seeking the presence and power and gifts. See, the difference in a word and spirit church and a word church that believes in the spirit is a word and spirit church actually believes that the things of the spirit should be in practice. We believe tongues should be in practice. We believe words of knowledge should be in practice. We believe in prophecy should be in practice. We believe that the Holy Spirit is active and moving and still ministering. And if we believe that, we should seek to pursue those moments of refreshing in the Spirit and seek to pursue the power and the things of the Spirit. And we do that. Mark Batterson wrote a book called The Wild Goose Chase. And, and the book is built on this, this whole thesis or synopsis that the Holy Spirit was called the wild goose by the old Celtics. So the old Celtics back in the the 800s, 900 ADs up in England and Ireland, all those places, 
They referred to the Holy Spirit as the wild goose. So not a sacrilegious thing. Just that was their way of saying the Holy Spirit leads you from adventure to adventure. The Holy Spirit leads you from glory to glory. And so we know we've had the term the wild goose chase. So when we first moved to Florence, I talked about Harley having their baby this week or last week. We first moved here. Harley was helping me move some stuff out of the house to the dump up off Cloverdale Road and up past Petersville. So we're driving, and you come back on County Road 30. There's this huge, sharp turn that once it goes, it goes straight, and we saw this peacock on the side of the road. So I look at Harley. He looks at me. I mean, I'm not the most EPA green tree hugger type guy, but I'm like, we got to help this little peacock. This peacock is lost. We can save it, or we can take it home and have the best pet the kids have ever had. So we get out of the truck. We literally park on the side of the road. We get out. I said, if you corner from that way, I'll corner this way. When I say go, let's jump on it. So we're over there. We're trying to corner this peacock. He's coming one way. And I said, go. We jump. And it takes off and flies. And it goes to a doghouse. And that's the moment I realized this wasn't a wild peacock. It was this people's peacock. And it was their pet we were trying to steal. The next week at church, somebody said, hey, I think I saw you on the... I'm County Road 30, like chasing a peacock. Was that you? I said, no, sir, it was not. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. But pursuing the things of the Holy Spirit many times is a wild goose chase. You go where he goes. You don't try to go and try to get him to come with you. You find out what the Holy Spirit is doing, and you join him in whatever he's doing. And if we're going to be a word and spirit people in a word and spirit church, we need to figure out what the Holy Spirit is doing and join him in what he's doing. And the last but not least, seek discomfort. Seek discomfort because whatever makes you uncomfortable is your greatest opportunity for growth. Seek discomfort. For whatever makes you uncomfortable is your greatest opportunity for growth. No one ever grows in their comfort zone. No one. If you're an athlete, you never grow stronger or faster in your comfort zone. In education, you never grow smarter or more intelligent in your comfort zone. And spiritually, you never grow more faith-filled or spirit-filled in your comfort zone. Like, it literally only, only happens when you get outside of yourself to a place you're uncomfortable. And, and I'm different this. I embrace being uncomfortable. Like, I almost enjoy being uncomfortable. I'll go to churches that are so far on the word side that I'm uncomfortable. Because they're dry. There's no presence of the Holy Spirit I'm uncomfortable, but you know what? I grow. I learn things biblically that I did not know. I'll go to churches that are so crazy and charismatic that it makes me uncomfortable and I don't like it. But you know what happens? I'm stretched and I grow because I'm outside of my comfort zone. And we, we talk about the prophetic presence. For many people, that was an uncomfortable moment. That was a, a pendulum swinging from a word to a spirit church. And Toya was uncomfortable. She was honest about it. Two years ago, we did it. I was uncomfortable. I'd never really seen it or experienced it before. But I went and saw it. It stretched me. And I said, this is a growing moment for me. And if you're going to be a word and spirit person, you have to be able to seek discomfort. There will be seasons of discomfort that the word will challenge you and your beliefs. But there will also be moments and seasons where the Holy Spirit challenges you in your traditions. And when you embrace those moments, you will grow and be more powerful spiritually, but more faith-filled in your spirit and in your mind and in your heart and in your soul. Because we all know a comfort zone, comfort zone equals rut. And there's so many churches that are built on just making you as comfortable as possible. 
I want you to come on Sunday morning, have a nice plush chair, sit down, feel comfortable. We're going to have worship that's just short enough to not get you uncomfortable. We're going to have a preaching or teaching that just doesn't stretch you, doesn't challenge you, doesn't make you uncomfortable. Why? Because when people are uncomfortable, they don't know what to do. We are a church. My goal is to make you uncomfortable because my goal is to make sure you're awakened and empowered to live and love like Jesus. Until we look just like Jesus, we shouldn't get comfortable. One of my prayers I heard somebody say, and I pray this all the time, is God, afflict the comforted and comfort the afflicted. Afflict the comforted and comfort the afflicted. Meaning sometimes when you're comfortable, God needs to do something to make you uncomfortable so he can help you grow in who he wants you to be. And sometimes you're afflicted, he wants to comfort you to move you out of that affliction. And my prayer is that, God, we're never comfortable or satisfied with where we're at. Because my favorite illustration is the word spirit. Is, I heard a pastor say this. He said, it's sad to me that we have word churches and spirit churches. Word churches usually have the theology right. They usually have the mission of God right that we're called to make disciples. We're fishing for men. Spirit churches have the power right. They, they understand the gifts of the spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, the problem is we need both to do the Great Commission. The Great Commission is to go into all the world and make disciples. He said, you need both. He said, but it's like this. He's like, it's like if we want to use the Baptist or Church of Christ as word churches. They, they have the mission right. They understand the word of God. They understand teaching you to obey. They understand discipleship. They understand some of these things. It's like they have the boat, and they're out there fishing for men. But they're on Wilson Lake with a rowboat, rowing out, trying to get to another fishing spot. And they're working. They're tirelessly. They get overburdened. They get tired. They get stressed out because they're just putting in all this work, obeying the word of God. Then the Pentecostals, the Charismatics, the spirit people, they got the motor. They get this 250 horsepower Evan Rude outboard. The problem is it ain't on the boat, it's in the garage. And every Sunday morning they call all their friends over, they rev the engine up and say, look at that raw, get her done. <laughs> and they're revving the engine, but we know the engine belongs on the boat. And so when you take the outboard motor and you put it on the boat or the mission of God, then you can fish for men and make disciples in a much easier way where it's not flesh-based, it's spirit-based. And so when the word and spirit comes together, it's like the mission of God and the power of God come together so we can actually do what God has commanded us to do. And that is my prayer. That's what I'm giving my life to do. And my prayer is that you will embrace both the word and Spirit, if you would bow your heads and close your eyes just for a quick moment. Father, we thank you that your word guides us and leads us. Your, your word is the riverbanks in which your spirit can flow. Father, we thank you for this conversation we get to read about with Jesus and the Sadducees. The Father, they were wrong. They were in error because they were ignorant of the scriptures and the power of God. I pray right now that we never become a people that you can say we're ignorant of your scriptures. The Father, when you see us, you see a people that are deeply rooted in the teachings of Jesus, in the teachings of the Word, in the teachings of the apostles. The Father, we're rooted in theology, we're rooted in doctrine. Father, we're rooted in the precepts and principles of your Word. Father, we stand on your promises. That Father, no one could ever say they're ignorant of the Scriptures. But Father, I also pray that we could never be ignorant of the power of God. Father, when people see us, they don't say, well, they're ignorant of the power, they're ignorant of the presence. They can say, those are a people that are marked by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Those are people empowered by the Holy Spirit. Those are people gifted by the Holy Spirit. Father, and as we do, I pray we never 
we'd never get our eyes off pursuing Jesus and his spirit. We never look to the left and right. We never fall into the ditch of the word, never fall into the ditch of the spirit. But Father, we're enamored and infatuated with pursuing being a word and spirit people. Father, I pray for those when they're uncomfortable, Father, it makes them seek you at a deeper level. Father, I pray we're people that were comfortable being uncomfortable. That, Father, we allow you to stretch us in a new wineskins, in your word, with theology, with challenges, with principles, with precepts. The Father, also to challenge us and stretch us with the things of your spirit. And, Father, as we do, I pray we bring the motor, we bring that outboard upon the boat, and we become fishers of men, people that go into all the shoals and all of the world, pursuing the lost, the broken, and the addicted, and the hurting, carrying the word and the spirit, so they can be awakened and empowered to live and love just like you. Father, and it's all for your glory. We thank you in Jesus' name.